The following message was preached at Flint Hill Baptist Church. We would love for you to join us on Sundays for life groups and worship, or on Wednesdays for adult Bible study, kids, and youth activities. For more information, visit flinthill.net. Amen. Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. We've uh, been in a series now for a while, Revive Us, O God. This morning, I'm not sure, we probably won't be wrapping it up, but uh, we're going to probably continue on at least for another Sunday in Revelation. Uh, Let me, uh, as you're turning to Revelation chapter 3, let me uh, make mention of this because I may forget. I know Jim Yarbrough is going to come up at the end of the service and share an announcement about the men's Bible studies. And let me encourage you men. Had a great time yesterday with many of you in our prayer breakfast uh, yesterday. But man, there's opportunities this fall uh, for us to have uh, opportunities to gather together, to study God's Word together. And uh, it'll be on Sunday night and it'll be on Monday morning, just like the ladies' Bible study as well. Different uh, material, but let me encourage you to be a part of that and what the Lord's doing. Also, with some of you, let me say this, Gavin, I know there'll be an announcement, but Gavin's um, put, in, put his hand to teaching our children about worship and the Word, and it's very exciting, very exciting what the Lord's going to do this Sunday night, uh, beginning in September. Uh, now, that being said, we've already had several step up to help and want to be a part of that. Uh, we need about four more volunteers to help. My hope is that if, uh, it may be, if I could ask this, those that are involved on Monday, maybe help on Sunday evening. That's just my thoughts. I mean, again, that may not be your thoughts. I want to I provide uh, everyone who wants to be involved in the Bible study be a part of it. And also extend to those that may not have had an opportunity to serve. Now, let me, let me put p- parameters on this. We're talking about three- and four-year-olds, and we're talking about the little bitties. Ba- you know, babies, toddlers, or whatnot, serving the, in that capacity, two in each. So... Again, uh, if you know that's not your thing, that's fine. But if you have a heart for those children and want to help them with uh, uh, Scripture and worship and obviously some other things, then we want to provide you that opportunity to serve. Please let Gavin know if you want to be a part of that. Now, Revelation chapter 3, the church in Laodicea, in verse 14. Uh, let's read this Scripture together. Uh, the church at Laodicea. To, in verse 14, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich, and I've acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I overcame and sat down with the Father on his throne, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. For several weeks now, I've shared with you these letters. This is the last one of the letters here in Revelation to the churches in Asia Minor. 
uh, Laodicea, the church, uh, just by way of a little bit of an introduction here. Like most of these churches here in Revelation, we have no idea how they were founded. Most likely, we believe it was during Paul's ministry in Ephesus. Uh, with this one, we know for sure uh, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 1, that Paul had not visited Laodicea, at least at that point, because he says to those churches, I haven't even been to. So we know that someone probably from Ephesus, uh, possibly Epaphras, you'll read that in your scripture, could have been one of those that went out on a missionary to Laodicea and founded that church. We don't know for sure. We do know a few things about the city which comes into play in this letter that the risen Lord writes to the churches there in Laodicea. We know that the city was uh, near Colossae and Hero uh, another place called Heropolis in this valley. It was a city of ec economic growth. In fact, the city, best we can tell by history, was extremely wealthy. They had lots of money. They had a great industry. It became this place where, under the Roman rule, it just began to grow and flourish and made a lot of money. It was strategically placed on the road system, so people traveled through there, which uh, aided their ability to grow and to, and to, and to strengthen their economy. Um, we know that uh, they became so wealthy. Uh, in the first century B.C., the Roman statesman Cicero cashed in his letters of credit there. I don't know what that means to us, but bottom line is it was a centralized banking system and they had a lot of money. Uh, so wealthy they were in Laodicea. We've talked about several earthquakes that happened in this part of the country back then uh, with some of the other churches. Same thing happened around A.D. 60. Romans ruled that area. In fact, we have some documentation where Rome offered them aid and they declined it and they said, hey, we're okay. We got plenty of money. So, I mean, they had money to build their infrastructure, rebuild after a devastating earthquake. They were a city that was well taken care of financially. They were known for their soft black wool that they produced, and apparently everybody loved and wanted, which helped them produce a lot of money and build a lot of wealth. They also became the center of uh, medicine. They were known for a salve that was put on the eyes that bring healing. So these industries, finance, wool, and this production of this salve, You'll see, I've already read in the scripture, it comes into play in this letter. So let's look at the first thing, the description of our Lord. Several times, all throughout these letters, there's the description of our Lord in every one of these. The first thing that, um, that I will say in the description is he says that I am the Amen. Uh, it's a unique title only found here in the scripture uh, as far as Revelation. It's the only here. Now, now, what I will say, this transliteration literally means truth, affirmation, or certainty. It's brought over from the Hebrew word that means to be firm, fixed, or unchangeable. You can certainly see where the Lord, the risen Lord, brings this message, this letter to Laodicea. And he says, I'm the certain one. I'm the one who is firmly fixed and unchangeable. It's a, it's a statement of truthfulness declaring of that of the risen Lord. Now, he is the God of truth, and he is truth incarnate for sure. Um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes these words. He says, for as many as are the promises of God in him, they are yes or amen. They are also through him are amen. There's that word to the glory of God through us. It is through the person and work of Christ that all of God's promises are fulfilled and guaranteed. That's the whole description here. When he says, I am the amen, he is confirming that if you want to know the fulfillment of God's promises in the scripture, 
You've got to turn to me. I am the only place, the source, the one who's able to provide the fulfillment of these promises. He, he goes on to say that he's the faithful and true witness. Now, MacArthur says not only is he the amen because of his work, but he also, because of everything he speaks, he's faithful, he's trustworthy, he's perfectly accurate. Wow. In his testimony, he who has ears, let him hear. Who has eyes, let him see. Let him hear the truth. Laodicea, that's what he's saying. He said, why witness my speaking to you is full of truth. He also says that he's the beginning of all creation, or beginning of creation, that word there, that phrase there. Sometimes translated in your Bible takes on a little nuance. It doesn't mean that he was born or birthed or the first of all creation. No, no. In your Greek text, arche, that word literally means beginning. It means um, not that he was the first one created, but rather Christ himself is the source or origin of all creation. Thus, thus elevating his deity. In other words, he is God, very God. Now, you know, because I've shared several times here these letters, there's a heresy that's in the works here in the first century. Yes, even just a handful of years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, known as the beginnings of Gnosticism, where they declared that Jesus wasn't fully God, that he was created. And here is a statement, a truthful statement to the church at Laodicea. He's combating that heresy. He says, look, I am fully God. I am the beginning, the source of, the one through whom all creation comes into being. We see this uh, articulated in the scriptures. But, but, I, but I say this because the church at Laodicea, in the progression here, is the worst case imaginable. There's no commendation for the church at Laodicea. In fact, he, I mean, he gets right into, just in a moment, the rebuke or the concerns that he has about them. But make no mistake, he is reminding them that I am the amen, that I'm the faithful and true witness. What I say is real. And I'm the one that birthed all of this into existence, the one who's speaking to you right now. So let's look at this. When we talk about the rebuke, as I would say here, or the commendation that Christ has of this church, the first thing that I want to say that's not in there, in the rebuke just leading into this, he says it, and he said this several times in the Scriptures, and he makes this pointing statement here in verse 15. He says, I know your deeds. I know your outcome. I know your works. I know what you're doing. I know your behavior. MacArthur again makes this statement. He says, deeds always reveal a person's true spiritual state. If you really want to know something about a, a person, look at what they do, not what they say. If there's inconsistency between what they say and do, then there's an integrity problem. But make no mistake, I mean, we see this throughout Scripture. Now, please hear me. Please hear me. Your works don't save you. Y'all know this. I'm, I'm, I hope you do. Your works don't save you, but your works do give evidence that you're truly born again. And here in this, in, 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 it makes no difference. Here at the church at Laodicea, he said, I know your deeds. They reveal who you really are. Although salvation is holy by God's grace and through faith alone, your deeds are confirming or denying the presence of genuine salvation. And what he's reminding the, La the, the church at Laodicea is this, I know everything, I know who's real, who's not real, and, I, and here's what many commentators would say when he speaks this word to the church at Laodicea, and this is hard for me to imagine, the church, I mean, many commentators would say the church is full of people that don't even know Christ. Now, I've made statements to you the boy, uh, before, Billy Graham, I like Billy quite a bit. 
Billy made a statement many years ago. I mean, he, I mean listen, I, I'm not Billy. Take it up with Billy. Take it up with the Lord. But he made a statement years ago. He said, most of the church is lost. I'm like, how is that possible? How is it possible that somebody could come in and go out week in and week out and not know Christ? How is that possible? I mean, I'm, really, I'm asking that question right now. Lord, help us. You know, one of my burdens as your pastor, and I'm, I'm sincere, every single person here, my burden of, my, uh, of this pastor right here is that you would know Christ personally as your Lord and Savior. I mean, the truth is, is leadership, we're going to give an account before the Lord what we do, how we preach, how we live. And, and God help us, set us free. Religiousness is not going to get you into heaven. If that was the truth, then I mean, Nick would have been there. Why would Nick pursue Jesus at night? And why would Jesus say, you must be born again? That may, that may sound like foreign language to some of you. But friend, listen, when Jesus Christ steps down into your heart, there's a difference. If you can say that you know Christ and you love the Lord, but there's no difference He makes in your life, something's wrong. You can be full of coming to church all you want, going to the men's prayer breakfast, you can come serve, you can do this, you can go on mission trips, you can be in leadership. But friend, if there's not a change wrought from heaven, then something's wrong. What's amazing to me is this is just a handful of years after the death and resurrection of Christ. This is a, a church that by virtue Paul founded on the gospel. And just a handful of years later, they've diverted to a place where it was okay and comfortable to not know Jesus and come to church. God help us. I mean, I pray God get hold of us. Let the fire of God fall and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Let us not be comfortable in our lostness in the house of the Lord or anywhere. But Laodicea, apparently, I mean, many commentators would say, the word that the risen Lord is bringing to the church at Laodicea is one of salvation. He's dealing with people that literally thought they knew the Lord or had this religious air about them, but were lost. Oh my goodness. Anyway, so let's look at the rebuke. He makes a couple statements here. Um... In verse, uh, in verse 15, he says, I know your deeds that you're neither cold nor hot, and I wish you were one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, not, uh, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And I, stay, I made a statement, not cold or cold, but lukewarm. Now, this language would have been very familiar to the, to the, to the people in Laodicea. I mean, you got to understand, their city, I mean, I had never been there, but I've been told that it was built kind of up. And it was almost uh, impregnable. In other words, uh, it, it was very defendable by them to enemies that would have come against them because it was built up. The one problem they had is they didn't have any water up here. And they had to duck that water in for miles away and through a system of aqueducts. And again, if somebody wanted to lay siege to the city, they would just cut off their water supply. Friend, here's the reality. If you ain't got water, you're going to die. And so they would lay siege to them. There's something about that in spiritual life. Jesus said, if you, when you come to the living water, remember that woman at the well? She kept digging that water out of the ground, and it, it was fleeting. I will tell you, the things of this world are fleeting. If you want to know the real source of life, the living water is in Christ alone. So the language would have been familiar with them. Why? Because that water traveled so far before reaching the city that oftentimes when it arrived there, it was foul, it was dirty, it was useless. It wasn't hot enough to relax in and restore <clears throat> like the city of Heropolis, and it wasn't cold and refreshing either, like the streams in Colossae, but rather lukewarm water. In fact, in this condition, it was useless and worthless. 
So, so here in this, in this letter to the church at Laodicea, he says, look, I wish you were hot or cold, but you're neither. You're lukewarm. You're useless. This condition that you're in. I mean, he made it real clear. The illustration was clear to them. Maybe not so much to us today. But Christ was bringing to them a shocking rebuke in this point. He said, because you're not lukewarm, he said, look, I'm going to spit you or vomit you out of my mouth. Uh, again, uh, MacArthur makes this statement. He says, some churches make the Lord weep. Others make him angry. The Laodicean church made him sick. Wanted to just vomit. Hot people are, are spiritually alive. They possess a fervency. It, it, it's obvious that they know Christ. Spiritually cold people, how on the, other, on the other hand, they don't know Christ. They reject Christ. They acknowledge that they don't know Christ. They're not moved by things that are spiritual. Lukewarm fits in neither category. They're not genuinely saved, many commentators would say, these lukewarm individuals. Except here's the deal. They're in the church. He's addressing the church in Laodicea, not the townspeople. He's not speaking it out. He's speaking it to the church. Again, I come back to you. How is it even possible that someone lukewarm or someone that doesn't even know Christ could come into the church and be comfortable? And yet, here in this condition, he's saying, you're worthless. You're useless. I want to vomit you out of my mouth. I wish you were hot. I wish you were cold. But you're in this lukewarm place. I... You know, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7. This ought to be a reality, a wake-up call. He said, many, many will say to me on that day, you know, that day we stand before the Lord. He, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy? That means preach in your name. Hey, did we not cast out demons in your name? Hey, did we perform many miracles in your name? The, the next statement to me is just Unbelievable. People that are involved in religious activity hang on to that. Hey, didn't we do this? Didn't we do this? Didn't we do this? And, he goes, and here it is. Jesus is going to say, on that day, I never knew you. Depart from me. You workers of iniquity, lawlessness, unbelieving people. Again, I come back to you. The Laodicean church was a church full of religious activity, but people that didn't know Christ. People that would claim to know Jesus, but, not, but denied the power thereof. People that would hang on to going to church, but they didn't have a personal, intimate walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. I go back to you on Wednesday night. We're walking through a study with Henry and Richard Blackaby. Everything in the Christian life hinges on a love relationship birthed by God in the, in the blood of Jesus on the cross at Calvary and His death and resurrection. Friend, I hope you can tell, if you can't, today's the day to come to Christ. It's shocking. MacArthur makes this statement. He says, there's no one harder to reach for Christ than a person he would call a false Christian. Someone who claims to know Christ but denies the power. Someone that, that, that in this passage would be that lukewarm person. John Stott makes this statement about the churches in the 20th century. It can probably be applied to us today. He said that this letter to the Laodicean church was probably more appropriate for us than any of the other letters. It describes vividly with respectable, sentimental, nominal, skin-deep religiousness. In other words, this stuff that just on the outside is so widespread among the churches today. He was making that statement about churches in the 20th century. He makes this statement. Our Christianity is flabby and anemic. 
That means weak. We appear to have taken a lukewarm bath of religion. Mm. Now what's interesting is the second rebuke. He, not only are you hot or cold, but you're lukewarm, but he says this. You, there's this inaccurate self-assessment. I, I think it's good to have a self-assessment. Don't beat yourself up too bad. But here in this scenario, the risen Lord makes this statement. He speaks this truth into their life. He says what? He, in verse 17, he says, You say I'm rich. And I've acquired much wealth and do not need a thing. I've already told you that Laodicea, uh, the, the, the area, the city, was a very wealthy city, a banking city. They had lots of money. And, and now the church is saying, I, we're wealthy, we're rich, we've acquired all this wealth, we don't lack one thing, we, we're okay. But the assessment of the amen, the faithful witness, the one who knows all and sees all, he said this, hmm. He says, you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. They had an inaccurate self-assessment. They didn't realize who they really were in the condition that they were in. Um, the wealth that they had gave them a false pretense, a false sense of security. It breaks my heart. I really do. I, I mean, I can't say this enough. My heart is burdened for people to know Christ personally as their Lord and Savior. Friend, I, I don't really want to have time to play church personally as, as a Christian or as a pastor. But I want to live this thing out. I really do, personally. And I want us to live this out personally, corporately. What does it mean to walk in the ways of God? What does it mean to live in such a way to bring honor and glory to the Lord? Personally and corporately as a church, we ought to be asking that question, living that. It doesn't mean we're perfect. It means we're real. If we're not real, then what are we? Good night. And what if we have a wrong self-assessment? I, I will tell you that oftentimes, I, I don't know about you, some people think more highly of themselves than they ought. Now, I'm on the other side. I probably think more lowly of myself than maybe I should at times. But the bottom line, it's really not about what we think about ourselves. It's about what the Lord has said about me and you personally. We just sang a song, I have decided to follow Jesus. Have you? What in the world does that mean in your world in which you live? Does that mean that you live out every single day and you seek the Lord and say, God, you placed me here at this school, in this place, in this work, at this place, in this place, at this time for your glory? Do you take time every day and say, God, I want you to use me for your glory today? See, it's one thing to sing a song and say, I have decided to follow Jesus. It's another thing to live that thing out personally and practically. I will say this, the church at Laodicea had a false, inaccurate self-assessment they were rich in spiritual pride, but bankrupt in saving grace. The reality is, and Jesus pointed out, they were spiritually wretched and miserable, poor, blind, and naked. These are all descriptions of a lost person that doesn't know Christ. This is one of the reasons why the commentators say, hey, he's speaking to lost people. He's preaching to lost people at this point. Can you imagine that messenger coming back with this letter in the first century? I mean, really? To a church in Laodicea, I don't. I ain't never been there, but I can imagine they had lots of money. They probably lived a good life. They were under the Roman. I mean, they probably had a lot of good things going on. I don't know. But then he brings this word that's quite honestly stinging if you take it at face value. You know what? I, I'm, I'm just going to say it. If we would allow, if we'd take the moment and allow the Lord to speak to our hearts and get his perspective of how we're really doing, it might hurt a little bit. We might be convicted of sin. 
but it would lead us to a place where that we would be used for God's glory. There would be times of refreshing and renewing in our heart before Him, particularly if you don't know Him. But He's inviting you to know Him. Please don't hide behind your religiousness. That's probably not even a word. Don't hide behind that. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. So, God, so, so the Lord gives this command, and, it, and it's quite simply threefold command of the Lord. It, it talks about purchasing pure gold. Now, when He uses this word, He says, but... Um, uh, you don't really, he, he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire in verse 18. He's not indicating that you can earn your way or purchase your way into salvation. Not at all. But he's using terminology they knew real well. That market mentality. He's saying, I want you to exchange something. I want you to exchange your wretchedness for the pure gold of salvation. That's what he's saying. The pure gold means a gold without impurities. This pure gold represents the priceless riches of true salvation. And he's saying, I want to offer that. I want to exchange that for what you have. You think you're rich, but you're not. You're poor. You're wretched. Here's something that may, will enrich your life. The true salvation. He, he goes on to talk about the white garments. Again, the, 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 the contrast between what they made in the city, this dark wool. He said, no, no, no. I won't give you my white garments. That white garments is a picture of what the, 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 the cleansing, the purity that comes through salvation in Jesus Christ. Throughout Scripture, it's shown God clothes the redeemed, the Christian, with white garments. Symbolizing what the righteousness of their ways through the blood of Jesus. No doubt about that. But they still have to exchange that. You can't be okay with your dark garments, your sin. You've got to exchange that for the purity of Christ. And then he talks about the eyesap. The salve, that he, the salve that he gives. He says, I, he says what? He said, it'll cover your shamefulness. He said, and put the salve on your eyes so that you can see. Clearly, they had salve. They made it. They, probably, they sold it all over that known part of the world. But the salve that they had was not going to open their eyes spiritually. Friend, just because you're religious doesn't mean that you see the Lord. Blessed are the pure in heart. Only those will see the Lord. To walk with Him and to talk with Him means you have conversation, you have a relationship with Him. One thing that the church at Laodicea was lacking was a personal, intimate love relationship with the Lord. They needed the pure gold, the white garments, the salve of Christ that He was offering. He wanted them. I mean, I hope you're hearing this, the graciousness of God. I mean, truthfully, I mean, I mean, Christ can do whatever He wants, whenever He wants. He could have laid down the law and brought down judgment upon the church at Laodicea, but He doesn't. He extends to them this grace to them. He says, come to me, exchange that for what's true salvation, pure salvation, this eye-opening salvation. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In fact, He invites them. He, in, he, he, he extends this invitation to them. Now notice verse 19, and then we use this all the time, I think. I do. Those whom, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So he says, be earnest and repent. Now some have said, hey, he's talking to Christians in Laodicea because you know, uh, uh, because of the wording there, I, 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 those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. And make no mistake, God rebukes and disciplines His children for sure. But we also know, John 3.16, I would ask somebody to quote it, but I don't want to put you on the spot. God loves who? Some people? Hold on, hold on, church, help me. I mean, y'all stay with me. God loves who? 
the world, all people, all nations. The ones that hate Him, the ones that love Him. God loves them all. His love is steadfast. Hallelujah. Covers a multitude of sins. So clearly here, I mean, again, we, we, I mean, you know, we're looking back at it. We're trying to take notes and commentate and all this stuff on this passage of Scripture. Maybe there was some Christians there in Laodicea. Most likely were. But the church was filled with people that acted religious but was void of a relationship. And no doubt about it. How do we know this? Verse 20, he says this. Here I am. Here I am. The I am is here. I want to declare that again. The I am is here, very present and alive. Hallelujah in the 21st century, right here at Flint Hill Baptist Church. And you know what he's doing? Knocking. He's still knocking. He's knocking on the door of people's hearts left and right. He stands outside the church. This is a clear indication. He's not on the inside, but on the outside looking in. Open the door, he says to the church. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. Is anybody going to listen to me? I will tell you, the beginning of salvation comes when you begin to listen to the Lord, when the God begins to knock on the door of your heart. You can refuse it, you can resist it, you can run away from it. But if you want to come to faith in Christ, you've got to listen to the Lord. Hear Him. And what? Open. I mean, that's all imagery there, isn't it? Open up the heart, open up your life, open up your life right now to the Lord. Friend, if you want to come back to the Lord, if you want to come to the Lord, you've got to hear the call of God. If he's knocking on the door of your heart, friend, please hear me. I don't care who you are. If you're a first-time guest, you've been here for the last 20 years. If God's knocking on the door of your heart and he's calling you to himself, please open wide your heart today. That's why the Bible says today's the day of salvation. It's not tomorrow because you're never going to get there. It's not yesterday. You can't look back in the past. It's right now, right here. And the, and the great news is that I am the ever-present, almighty, living Lord Jesus Christ is still knocking on the door of hearts today. Even in those churches like Laodicea, even when they seem to be dead and religious and stale, in need of salvation, God in His grace, right now we live in a time where God is still knocking on the doors of people's hearts. But friend, He's not going to make you turn to Him. He's not going to make you trust in Him. Very clearly here in the Word of God, I mean, you've got to open up, you've got to listen, and you've got to open up your heart to Him. We know that it's by grace through faith. We know that we believe and trust in Him and we can turn our life to Him. We, we recognize that, that this invitation is real and it's the, the opportunity that we have to turn to the Lord. You know, Martin Lloyd-Jones made a statement about repentance. What does that mean? To earnestly repent. To mean, to, here's what he says. He says, repentance means you, that you realize you're guilty. You're vile. You're a sinner in the presence of Almighty God. That you deserve His wrath and punishment. That you're hell-bound. It means you begin to realize that this thing called sin is in you. That you long to get rid of it. And you, and you turn your back on it in every shape and every form. You renounce the world. You renounce the sin. You renounce everything. You deny yourself. And what do you do? You take up the cross. You look to the cross. You look to Christ. He alone supplies every need you'll ever have. The forgiveness of sin and the assurance of heaven. Friend, that was the message to the church at Laodicea. Man, it's a rich and ripe message for us today. Here's, here's, here's my encouragement to us. Friend, if you're here today and you hear the Lord calling, knocking on the door of your heart, open wide your heart today. Please let me make this clear. I want to be as clear as I can be. 
It is very possible someone can be extremely religious and not know Christ personally as their Lord and Savior. May that not be the case in this room today, but if it is, today's a great day. Because today's the day that you can turn to Christ personally. You can trust Him. You can open the door of your heart and trust in Christ personally as your Lord and Savior. It's simple, but it means you're, you're acknowledging those things. It also means this, and I think this is where the church at Laodicea is so fitting for us today in the life that we live. We might find ourselves drifting from our love relationship with the Lord. We've seen this in all these churches. And here with the church at Laodicea, he's standing at the door. Friend, can I say this? I've been there. If you find yourself as a believer in Christ and you've drifted so far away, Praise be to God that you're here today, but I want to invite you to open wide your heart and just turn back to the Lord. Turn to, here, here's, what, here's the imagery. There's a good old song on the radio right now. Uh, I, it reminds me of that, that young man that came to his senses out there in the pig pen of life. He departed from his father and he went out there and he thought life was filled in the abundance of things. He blew all his money and ends up in the pig pen. He rem, he's reminded in that moment of his father's love towards his servants. He says, my daddy loves those servants better than better than what I'm living in right now. And it was the love of his father that drew him back to home. I just want to share with you all right now. Friend, I don't know where all you are right now in your walk with Jesus, but it's the love of our Lord Jesus Christ extended to us today. Man, if God's knocking on the door of your heart, I want you to hear me. Turn to him. You know what you're going to find? You're going to find a loving heavenly father that will, like in in that parable, he's going to run to you. When you begin to turn to Him, you'll, you'll, you'll begin to experience, maybe for the first time in a long time, the amazing grace of God demonstrated when a person chooses to repent and turn back to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we just want to praise You today. God, I want to thank You for this day. I thank You for this moment. I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for the Word to the church at Laodicea. But Lord, for that Word today... God, we desperately need you. I need you personally. God, we need the the church, the body of Christ today. God, I'm thankful in your word. You are the amen, the true and faithful witness. You are the preeminent one. You are God, very God, and we, we praise you. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm so grateful today, Father, that you still are God of grace and mercy. That even though we may turn away, maybe trust in our own wealth as the the people in Laodicea, trust in our own resources, God, whatever it means we turn away, God, when we turn back to you, I want to praise you today, Father, that you're a God of grace. Your love covers a multitude of sins, and I just rejoice, hallelujah. God, I can just imagine there in the first century when you applied the salve of your presence to those that opened the door of their heart to you. God, would you take some of that salve today, maybe that healing ointment? And God, would you cover over our hearts, our minds? God, would you heal us and bring us to a place of wholeness before you? God, I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand together, church. We're going to sing a song, what we call invitation.
Friend, if you're here today and you need to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, you come. If you know you're here and this is where God's called you to serve Him, be a, be a member here at Flint Hill, then we want to invite you to come. You be obedient as we sing this song unto the Lord together. I've been changed.